comes from Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in to his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. All right, so I'm honored to welcome uh, Luis, who's an old friend of mine, and uh, and their family, uh, longtime friends of Gateway. So please welcome Luis, who's going to share with us this morning. Thank you, Matt. Uh, PowerPoint is not my strength, so forgive the lights and whatnot. Yeah, thank you for for, uh, allowing me to come here. Thanks, Zach, for inviting me. My name is Luis Gabriela Redondo Cárdenas. And uh, if you can spell that backwards, I think we have a present. My wife does. Um, Let's see, we can go to the first slide, I think. This is my family. We have three wonderful boys and a chola, who in, uh, it's our dog, Nala. Her name is Nala, but I call her chola because I take care of her, right? Uh, anyway, she's a great dog. This is our house. We live in the same street in Sac and Dan. Um, we have a, a great street and we know each other. I work for FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, My role is in the urban area, which is the Moines Public Schools. I'm also at Grandview University, and uh, a new role that I'm doing is creating spaces for our youth to play sports. I personally believe that through sports is one of the best ways to make disciples, one of the best ways to love on our children, on impacting their lives. Has anybody had, did anybody have a coach growing up? Let's see, we have two people, three people, okay. Oh, more, okay, everybody's first in the hands. Did you guys have a good experience? Was there a good coach? Bad, I know we have good coaches and bad coaches. Was it an encouraging coach for you guys? Did you feel loved by your coach? Yes? Eh, okay, all right, you don't have to. Not everybody. Uh, we can go to the next slide, I think. So, um, yeah, what I was gonna tell you about is <clears throat> how If you're like me, sometimes I read the news or listen to the news and sometimes you get, I feel like I get depressed sometimes. I feel like the heaviness of what's happening in in the news around us, right? I mean, sometimes I go days without watching it. Sometimes my wife is like, why are you watching that? It's just, just don't. But sometimes I like to get, informed and there's things that have happened uh, actually recently this week if you keep up with the local news there was this guy a young man 18 year old that just got um, sentenced because uh, at the beginning of the year he's the one that shot two people in the school that starts right here the after the the uh, alternative school with the keeps uh, you guys I see some heads shaking okay you guys know what I'm talking about so if you ask will keeps he will say yeah those kids need father figures. Those kids are lost sheep. 
they need a shepherd. So he's, he lo he's loving on them. Uh, there's another situation that, w that was really... Uh, today I'm going to tell you a lot about East High School because it's a local high school here. And I was going to talk to you guys about, the, about the, the words that go to your church. Uh, I love them. And I was going to use them as an example. Obviously, yeah, you can tell them about it. But I'm going to use East High School as an example. But East High School, I also coached soccer there. And two years ago, uh, we, had a, we, have a, we had a young man, a 15-year-old, that overdosed and died. The coach and I went to this funeral. And he was being blind. And we went to pay our, our uh, respects and our, say our con condolences. I cannot even pronounce that word. You know what I'm saying, condolences. Mm. How do you say it? Condolences. Condolences. There you go. I've been in this country for a long time, but I still have issues with pronouncing some words. So thank you. And uh, when we were talking to the mom, there was no dad involved. Um, the saddest response that I've heard was that she didn't know that he was in the soccer team. He had been playing soccer for two years after school, every day, for like eight weeks. And the mom did not know he was in the soccer team. So after thinking about this, yes, it was shocking, but I was not surprised because a lot of the immigrant communities that come to this city we come and we have jobs that are irregular, that we work a lot of nights. We work jobs that we may not be able to see our children. So when I first heard that, I was just like, oh man, why are you not more present in your kids' lives? But the most important thing for her was to provide as a single mother for, I think she had four or five kids. So I quick went from judgmental to a heart of compassion. I'm going to take a step back and uh, let's, let's have a moment of prayer because I know we can go to the one that has the answers for these issues in our community. Father, we thank you that you're in charge. We thank you that, uh, that you love us and that you have compassion. Thank you that you are ultimately our shepherd, our guide, our father. Thank you that you have called us to this space this morning. And I pray that we'll be able to be encouraged, challenged, that we'll be able to hear your voice. Speak to us, Father. We pray. Amen. You know, typically, I don't do this very often, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a timer. If I don't put a timer, I may speak for longer than you want me to. Um, so yeah, the scripture, can you go to the next slide, please? So I think I used a different translation. I don't mind the translation. Any, any NIV people in the house? We have one, two, okay. NLTs, any NLTs? All right, two people, all right. I think this is the NLT. So this is the same concept, but Jesus, what, what's the, ac the first action step that Jesus does? What's his first action? He went. So we see that he went. So a lot of times Jesus back then had an answer for something that happened back then, but also a solution for today's issue. So Jesus here, he went. If he wouldn't have gone, he wouldn't have seen on, on verse 36, he saw. Because he went, he went and he was doing his, his call. He was preaching, he was healing. That, that was like his role. But 
because he was going, he saw. And when he saw, when he saw the needs, he, what did he see? He saw the sheep without a shepherd, the people. He saw the people that were lost, right? And what did, did that make him do? He made them, he called over his disciples. And a lot of times when we read the disciples, my, my seminary professor would say, that's more than ever a call to the church, a call to us to take action. So he's basically calling us and say, hey, let's pray. Let's pray for the harvest. For there's a lot of needs, but the workers are few. And I didn't include this verse, but I should have, because this is perfect. So in the, if you go to chapter 10, verse 1, then he gathers the disciples and he sends them. Uh, I was telling my wife that uh, one of the revelations that I got this weekend preparing for this is that a lot, I used to think, oh, when we pray, when we pray, it's like for somebody else to take action or somehow that God is going to change hearts and do something. But the more that I think about it when, I, when we pray, it's not just about us communicating with God one way, but also listening to him, right? So when we pray, it's just not, hey, God, do this, do that. But it's also, how can you use me? So I believe that uh, when we pray, it's not just for God to change things, but to change our hearts. So something that I want to focus on here that I think it's important is shepherd, the lost sheep, the lost sheep. That's what gave God compassion, Jesus. And I want to take a moment to share my story, a little bit about my story, uh, because I was the lost sheep. And I, wanna, and I wanna give God the glory that how I was a lost sheep and God sent shepherds into my life to change my life. So I don't know if it's in this next slide. I don't even know what I remember, what I put in the next slide, but oh, yes. So this is one picture that I have of growing up. As you can see, most men and some women had a stash. <laughs> if you're from Mexico, you had to have a stash and a hat, well, except those two guys. My uncle in the middle, to Ivan, I'm the, I'm the one in the blue sweater. The one on top of me was kind of like my, the youngest of 13 kids. My grandparents had 13 kids. No TV, guys, they have no TV. 13 kids. And uh, most of the time, um, we lived in a three-bedroom house, and uh, it was 10, at least 10 of us that lived there. And I will share, uh, now that I, that I share a king, queen size bed, king size, I'm like, whoa, I can flip. And I, my wife doesn't like this, but I move a lot and kick. And, but uh, growing up, I shared a single, a single bed with my uncle. So it was like, you were like squeezed in. Until I was like 10, I would be sharing with a grown man uh, a bed. What am I saying this? It's because I, I, I had family members around me, but I was a lost sheep. I didn't have a shepherd to really guide me, and like a father that would pay attention to me. I remember this kind of girls. I remember I would, go, I would go two or three days without showering. Not good in Mexico, because it was a lot of <laughs> dirt, and I would not brush my teeth all the time. TMI, I know, TMI. But uh, would you like to go to the next slide, please? So. Google Maps is amazing. I Googled my address in Mexico, and uh, this is the street where I grew up. The red, that red, um, what do you, portones? What do you, how do you say that in English, portones? Uh, gates, yes, thank you. We have some Spanish speakers? 
No? Okay, you? Thank you. The Red Gates, that's my house, that's where I grew up. And most evenings, this was my schedule most of the time. I would go to school, play soccer for recess, get out of school, play soccer after school, walk home, eat some, a snack, and then go outside and play soccer or watch uh, cartoons. Uh, Thundercats, any Thundercats fans? I had nightmares from Thundercats, I'm telling you. I would watch Thundercats, eat something, and then go outside and play some more. Uh, we would put two rocks. There was a bunch of rocks in this side of the road. It was not paved. It was more like gravel-ish. Uh, you wouldn't want to fall on the ground, basically. And um, we would find any ball that we can find and play soccer until 9, 9.30. My grandmother in, Me in if you ever lived, has anybody lived in Latin America? Any countries in Latin America? Okay. So as you guys probably know, it's culturally appropriate, not appropriate, but it's part of the culture where every night you have to watch the soap opera. Every night there's a soap opera on TV that you watch. Can anybody relate? Yeah, one person, okay. Um, so yeah, every night my grandmother watched the soap opera and just before their last soap opera, she would get up and look out the window and she would be like, means come inside the house. And I was just playing outside. Thankfully, our soccer field was just outside. So I was able to come in. And so that was my, that was my schedule. That was my life, playing soccer all the time in the streets. Uh, our little gang name of our, of our street was El Ranchito. And we would sometimes hang out on the corners, in this corner, on the corner over here, thinking, oh, this is our turf or whatever. I mean, we're just like eight years old, nine years old. I mean, this is not our turf, but we just thought we were tough. And um, I'm, I'm just going to share, share this with you just to get a picture of my, my lost, my lack of, of uh, parenting. Nothing against my parents. My grandparents, they love me, but they were just too busy. They had 13 kids. There was no way that they could keep up with everything that I was doing. And I remember one day my, my, my friends thought it would be cool to try to get high. And the only thing we can think of that we can do is uh, put glue in a, in a plastic bag. Cover your ears, my son. But that's what we would do to, to, to get some kind of high. Or another time, I don't know, I must have been first, second grade, and uh, my cousin and I broke our piggy banks and went to our local deposito where you buy alcohol, and we bought one beer. One beer. That's all we could afford. And we told the lady, oh, can you open it? Because we don't have a bottle opener at home. That was a lie. And we drank the beer and we got caught and couldn't watch TV for a week or whatever. But the reason I'm telling you this story is because I felt like my uncles with a stash, you guys saw all the stash people, they could drink, they would drink all the time. And I thought that would be, that's like the most manly thing that you can do. And as, a, as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, I thought that's, that's my role model. That's what I want to be like. Um, something else about Mexico is that if you were in a hurry, you would walk in the middle of the street. Because if you walk along the side, you could see people, you're like right there, a window could be right on the sidewalk and people would be like, hey, Gale, or whatever, and how's your mom doing, or how's your brother? And you, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere. Well, you'll take a lot longer if you walk by the houses, because you would know everybody within two block radius, everybody's names, the kids. It was, it's awesome, but it's also, 
very time consuming if you want to go anywhere. So it's not very, it's very different than here. Um, fast forward a little bit, when I was 12 years old, my, my father, did I mention that my dad and my mother couldn't raise me because I did not mention this. The reason I grew up with my grandmother and my grandfather, but he wasn't around, is because my parents were wanted by the government. They were hiding out and they moved to the United States. So since I was two months old, and I know I was two months old because my grandmother showed me a letter where my mom wrote a letter saying uh, uh, he goes to sleep at this time, he eats this much, he cries this much, and that was the first time that I felt like a lost, lost sheep, like without a shepherd, without a family. Anyway, fast forward, my dad and my stepmother brought me to the United States. Um, like a lot of the Latinos that come to this country, I came here undocumented, that means without permission. And my dad and my stepmother took me to the border where the ocean meets the river. And it was like the second time that I seen the ocean. And my dad brought a rope. We tied a rope around our waists. We brought a, little, a couple of plastic bags because we don't want to get all our clothes wet. So we put our, our, our clothes in the plastic bags. I'm going to check my time. So I can tell you all stories all day. And uh, I didn't know how to swim. I was just doing the dog paddle. And later, my dad told me that we almost drowned because the current was taking us out into the ocean. I had no idea. I was just going for a joy, for a joy swim, I guess. And we hid in the dunes until my grandmother, my grandmother, my stepmother came and got us. We were hiding from the immigration. And back then, it was easier to get uh, like your social security or anything to go to school. So we can talk about immigration some other day. But anyway, I got to the United States. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be finally part of a family. My dad's here, my stepmother, I have kids. I have four half-siblings. Uh, but my world changed. My dad, even though he was present physically, he was not present emotionally because he never had a father who showed him how to be emotionally present. He never asked me how I was doing. Uh, the only time that we had a conversation is, Gale, that's what they call me in my family, Gale. Do this or do that, wash dishes, do the clothes, uh, take care of your siblings. And I'm coming from, from a background where I was in the street all the time. I was just playing soccer every day. I had no one to, to, to report. I had no one to tell anything but to go to bed sometimes, to go to bed when, before they locked the door. So it was like a really change for me. Fast forward, I got kicked out of the house at 17. Um, I mean, what I could tell you about my dad is he, he introduced me to, to marijuana. He taught me how to shoot a gun. And he, he gave me really bad advice about women. And I'm not saying this to talk bad about him, but I, I want to paint a picture that I was a lost sheep without a shepherd, that I was just not having any direction in life. Uh, it, it took me 20 years to forgive him. It took me 20 years to understand is that it's not because he didn't love me, it's just what he knew. He didn't know how to be a father. He didn't know that he's supposed to ask me things. Um, so anyway, at 17, my life changed. At 17, when I got kicked out of the house, I was just staying with different friends. A month here, a couple of weeks here, two days here, I would sleep outside. Uh, but I would go to, that made me go to school all the time because that's where I got my, my shower, my 
my breakfast and my lunch, and then I just had to find dinner. So that was in, that was just one meal a day, and um, and then my my English teacher started asking me questions, and he found out, and more and more that he knew about me. He invited me to run cross country, and I'm like, I don't want to run. That's what kind of crazy people just run for? Doesn't the Bible say something about like only the the evil ones run when no one's pursuing? <laughs> don't don't tell Linnea that. I was just I was gonna say that she's she's a cross country coach, um, but this coach Coach Peña Ubaldo Peña uh, took interest in me and started talking to me about Jesus. He invited me to cross to the cross country team. I don't think I have a picture. What's the next picture? Oh yes, I do. That's Ubaldo Peña, who's the one, this is like when I was 18 or 19 after I graduated. So he was, he didn't know about anything about cross country. He just started coaching us. And every Friday morning, he will open up the Bible and tell us one verse and tell us what it meant. And little by little, God started changing my heart where I gave my life to Jesus. And I felt called to vocational ministry. Oh, one thing I want to tell you about him that is so incredible, that was very convin uh, convicting. He, my father took a job half hour away from where he lived. And when he started talking to me, he's like, Luis, join the cross country team. And I started saying, no, I don't, like, I, don't, I don't know if I can. And finally, when he convinced me, I was like, but I live half hour away. I'm not gonna make the meets or the, or the training. Excuse me. And he said, I'll come and pick you up. I'll pick you up. And I'm just, so this was just crazy. Imagine a coach would drive half hour to get me, half hour, for well, half hour to get me, half hour back, and then we'll take the bus to the meets. After the meets, he would take me to home and drive back home. So he would take two hours out of his day, of his Saturdays, just for me, just for me. And I feel like today we have a neighbor uh, that sometimes he asks for a cup of water or like he's broken like, I don't know, he broke like a bike or, I don't remember what it was, but I was just really feeling convicted that my coach, he would give two hours of his day to encourage me, to believe in me, to bless me. And now I get frustrated when God puts somebody in my life to love on. It takes me five seconds to give him water. It takes me, because I'm like, you live three, three houses down. Go get your own water or something. In my mind, I'm thinking this. I don't do it, but I'm thinking selfishly. Because it's an inconvenience, right? So anyway, I just, I just want to tell you that. And then after that, I felt called to vocational ministry. I went back to Mexico to work at a church. And I met a family for, from Adel, Iowa. Has anybody heard of that little town, Adel, Iowa? I heard it's just pigs and corn, or what? Is there anything else besides that? <laughs> anyway, I, I met this family in Mexico. I was working at a church, and part of my job was to host missionaries. Oh, time is fine. Um, I was hosting missionaries, and this family asked me, what are you praying for? And I said, I'm praying to go to college someday. Well, I said, my grandmother, these people, and maybe one day go to college. Because my mentor in Mexico said, hey, you should pray to go, you should go to college. And I'm like, I don't like school. Can I get an amen? Just kidding, not my son. You like school, good. Uh, I don't like school. I don't have any money. 
I don't have a car. There's no university within, within an hour, an hour and a half of where I live. And I'm already in the place where I want to be the rest of my life in vocational ministry. So I'm like, God, you're going to have to do a miracle. So the miracle was that this family invited me to move to Adel, Iowa. Very inconvenient. They already had five kids in their house. Very inconvenient to meet one, a kid from Mexico for one week. And they invited me to come and live with them. So this has been like the most important like shepherding experience that I've experienced. Uh, this family has been like my family. I don't think I have a picture of them, do I? Okay, I don't, even, I don't remember what I put in there. What's next? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there slowly. Uh, so yeah, this family that took me in and really shepherded me and really taught me, I'm still learning how to be a father, how to do, take care of my finances, something that I never learned. Came to the United States. Um, yeah. So today I work for FCA. These are my coworkers, the ones that were up there. And what we do is, is three things. We focus on three things. We do uh, high school or college huddles. Has anybody been involved in FCA before? One person? Yes. I, I brought Jake so he can raise his hand. Uh, FCA, we're in the, in the public schools. In the Moines Public Schools, we basically have a Bible study. At East High School, every Monday after school. Uh, at North High School, every Wednesday during lunch, there's like 30, 40 kids that meet together and read the Word of God and discuss and eat their lunch. In a high school and college level. Then we also have something called character coaches. There's limited things that we can do but what we try to, our, our volunteer opportunities is through kind of like a chaplain um, where you go to a team and sometimes coaches cannot speak so clearly about their faith, but if they have like a volunteer coach, the volunteer coach can, has a lot more freedom to talk about Jesus without getting in trouble, right? So that's our like second. The third component is now I'm coaching little kids sports, mainly soccer and basketball. And we believe we believe that through sports is one of the best ways that we can reach the next generation because they may not listen to a teacher, the kids may not listen to parents, or kids, maybe their parents are not home, but they will listen to a coach if they want to play. Um, yes, so that's what I do. Just to recap, so Jesus, in this passages, in this passages, in these verses, he said he went. If he wouldn't have gone, he wouldn't have seen. If he would not have seen, he would not have felt the compassion when he saw the lost sheep. If he would have not seen and felt the compassion, he would not ask the disciples to pray. And really praying that God will change our hearts. So today you may be saying, what can I do or how can I relate? For my, my preaching is, I'm not a great at teaching or giving you guys like a deeper knowledge of the passages. My, the way that I engage that I want, the reason I speak sometimes is I'm, I'm hoping to inspire you, inspire myself, encourage ourselves to, to whatever, I don't, know, I don't know many people in this space, but hopefully to encourage you, to let you know that through sports, we can change the city. Even in this small group, I mean, knowing coach, I was asking Coach Peña the other day um, about the people that he's impacted. And he told me, there's 20 people in full-time ministry now. 
and there's 20 people uh, that are principals or superintendents that he's, that he's uh, worked with. And I can imagine how many people have come to know Jesus through his, through his relationships. So I want to tell you, uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to be on staff. You don't have to be a coach. The people that have been the most impactful in my life, like this family, they're not in vocational ministry or they're not coaches. But they've lived a life where they've, they've have open arms, open hands, open hearts, say, hey, I will love on this, on this child. Um, I was going to tell you about, a little bit about the, the words. I mean, I, I don't know if you know them, but, but they coach football. Well, he used to coach football, but now coaches uh, track. Linnea is coaching cross country. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about a lot of young people that I know that sometimes they graduate. Actually, an assistant coach that I had, a, a volunteer coach that I had, just moved to Denver. He's like, yeah, my wife just wanted, and I wanted to be in a bigger city. It's like mountains and a lot of restaurants. But there's people like the, the words that have chosen to be here because they know the need. And it's so easy for us to be like, you know what? Let's do something else, something more like that would be fun for me. So I'm encouraged by their story because sometimes for me, even that I, even though I do this full-time vocational ministry, one way that God spoke to me is that I feel like I, I do a lot of things, a lot of like high school, college teams, and I, I feel like God has called me just to be more, more, more intentional about the, like, a smaller group instead of a lot of people. Um, can you take that picture, the picture that was there before? No, the one, yeah, that one. So. On your, on your right, I still get, that's my coworker Nan. And the reason that I want to point her out is because about almost 20 years ago, um, somebody asked her to bring pizza to a FCA huddle, just to bring pizza. They, wanted, they needed somebody to bring the food. And uh, when she went, she saw the need. She kept going back and back every, every time they met. And then when the leader had stepped down, she's like, okay, I'll, I'll step it up because her kids were in that huddle. And she tells me, yeah, selfishly, I did it for my kids. And then she started being the leader. And then she got more involved and more involved. And today, she's on our staff. And I'll tell you, like, I cannot tell you how many times during the week when we talk, it's people calling her or texting her saying, can we meet? I need, I need, I need help. So she's shepherding a lot of people in the college, high school, helping adults lead huddles. And she's just such an inspiration to me. And I, and, and I was thinking about her because sometimes you may think, oh, Luis, you're, I'm not from Mexico. I didn't have a dad that taught me how to do all the stuff that your dad told you how to do. But I, I want to tell you is that as we pray, that you just know that this is a way, FCA is a way that we can impact our society. There's many ways. But my dream is that people from churches like yours, one person can potentially touch 100 lives through sports. I know most of you guys are not old enough for this. I was not either. But do you guys remember hearing about Promise Keepers? Do you guys remember what that was, Promise Keepers? Yeah, I got three, four people. So Promise Keepers was a ministry that gathered men together to encourage them and to fellowship. And that was like a new thing. In the churches before that, 
there was no men's ministry, there was no like gathering. And nowadays, most, a lot of churches have a men's ministry where guys get together and encourage one another. My hope and dream is that the church will also take this tool that we have through sports, that where, whatever your ability is, whatever your time is, that we, use, that we can use sports, if you're male or female, or if you played sports or not, my coach never run cross country, that you can use that as a platform to love on, on our next generation. They say about 85% of the Christians today start learning about Jesus before the age of 12, between the age of eight and 12, actually six and 12. More than 85% of adults started hearing about God at that age. So what an opportunity for us at this time in our lives. And, and FCA can, can help you have that platform for sports. Hey, I'm just a speaker today. I don't know what you do with how you, God has called you, but this is, this is my role. This is my world. I always, when I speak, I always tell people, hey, get involved with us or wherever you are. But if you're not already in the place, we invite you to come and join what, what God is doing through FCA. Through going, through being a coach, a character coach, or giving or praying. Because I know giving and praying will change your hearts to be more involved. Because sometimes when we start praying, like this example, when we pray, it's going to be like, oh, I have to listen to God now. Probably God is going to tell. And I don't know. I don't know where you're at in your, in your time. I don't know where you're at. Only you and God can answer that. Um, I think... Um, I think that's, that's what I wanted to tell you, how FCA, how God has allowed me through my past to be involved in the people's lives in the city. So thank you for, for, uh, for inviting me, and thanks for listening. Uh, I think we're, can I just pray and then we'll, I think we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. Father, it is so true. It is so true that the harvest is plentiful. There's so many people in our city, so many youth in our city without a shepherd, without a father figure or mother figure. Father, and I know you call us to pray for the harvest, to send the workers, send the workers. I just pray that uh, you make it clear in our hearts what is our role, what, is, what do you want us to do, Father? Father, I pray that one day that all of us can look back and be, it was worth it. The sacrifices that I've made to love on people around me. Because now they give the glory to you. They follow you. Father, speak to us. Be with us. Walk with us as we prepare for communion.